Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is here. It's Wayday. Right now, you can score up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. All up to 80% off right now. Plus, everything ships free. And flash deals are launching all Wayday long. Don't miss Wayfair's biggest sale of the year. Shop Wayday right now for May 6th at Wayfair.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy who was distancing himself socially before it was cool. He is the captain. Don't stand so close to me. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. It's the end of July, getting ready to cruise on into August, and it's hot outside so reach for something refreshing today we've got a beauty we are drinking raz the roof by the hard-working folks over at susquehanna brewing company i love this one on a hot summer day it's light fruity and a little tart garage grade let's go three and three quarter bottle caps out of five and this beautiful beer is brought to us by some of our beautiful listeners right here did you know captain that it is known worldwide The TCG has the very best-looking listeners in the biz. Yeah, so we should razz the roof. (laughs) Razz the roof. Of course you knew that. So here is a cheers to my friend Kat listening over in Harvey's Lake, PA. And a big shout-out to Adam and Maria in Woodstock, Georgia. Next up, here's a cheers to Nevada in St. Louis, Missouri. And a big shout-out to Amanda And Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. And a special cheers to all men and women that serve this great nation. Here's a big, big thank you and cheers that goes out to Casey and Brock, Texas. And last but certainly not least, we have a big, nice jibby to the winos, Nick and Jess, holding it down in Napa, California. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and they contributed to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. And for all True Crime Garage episodes, download the Stitcher app. Or for just some of them. Maybe you just want some of them. You mm. can still get them on the free Stitcher app. Yeah, I would recommend not to listen <laughs> to all of them. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. One of the top reasons that people purchase firearms is for protection. Protecting themselves, their loved ones, and their homes from the dangers beyond their walls. Keeping the bad outside. No one ever wants to have to deal with a home invasion by a dangerous intruder. In today's case, we have just that. A young couple expecting to be safe and secure in their own home 
when they hear someone breaking into their house. The husband grabs his gun and confronts the intruder. But something goes wrong. And instead of the intruder being shot, the husband and the wife are both shot with their own gun. One of them will not survive the incident. The other is left to answer a lot of questions. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of Heidi Furcus. We begin several of our shows with the 911 calls that signal the beginning of law enforcement's attention to a crime. Of course, the call for help usually indicates that something is very, very wrong. In this case, there were two 911 calls from different people, two different callers asking for help at the same crime scene. The audio for these calls has not been released, but the transcripts have. The first call was made to the Ramsey County Emergency Communication Center on April 25th, 2010. The call came from 1794 West Minnehaha Avenue in the city of St. Paul, Minnesota. This was a residential neighborhood in which the small bungalow-style homes were packed together in fairly close proximity. The caller, we would later learn, was a 25-year-old woman named Heidi Furcus. Yeah, Heidi Furcus is married to Nick Furcus, and they live in a house that they are purchasing. They, they own the house. Correct. So this first 911 call, it's pretty short. And really, the only information that's communicated to dispatch by Heidi is that A, somebody's breaking into their home, and B, she's trying to communicate with them her location, their address, and it never really fully gets out in this first call. What ends up happening is there's a loud noise, Heidi or somebody yells no, and then the call ends abruptly. So this leaves dispatch with wondering, okay, well, what's going on there and where exactly is this place located? They try to call her back several times, but this is not successful. Then a second 911 call came in from the same address. The caller this time was a male. We were not able to find anything that would tell us how much time elapsed between these two different calls. Well, and the reason why is because police have released the time of Nick's call, but not of Heidi's call. Right. This is a crucial piece of information that would be very helpful for us to know, but it's not been released. All that has been reported is that the second 911 call came in as squad cars were still responding to the scene. And what information we do have here, Captain, is that the second 911 call came in at about 6.30 a.m. And what we can make out from this call is that it's coming from a man's home who was violently invaded by an intruder and the man's wife was shot in the melee. She appears to him, the man on the phone, to be dead. He sounds hysterical. And who wouldn't be? An unknown assailant was in his residence. His wife was shot and he was shot. It all likely went down very fast. And as we said, Captain, this is supposed to be a quiet Sunday morning. He's calling 911 and he stays on the phone until the officers arrive on the scene. Well, eyewitnesses in the neighborhood also state that at the time that it would have been daylight or almost daylight at that hour. And what we're going to see is as the police investigation begins, there was a frustrating lack of detail to go on what actually went down in that house in the early morning hours of that Sunday. Before we get into the nitty gritty of this case, I've got to say, Heidi and Nick Furcus, this seems like just a totally normal, everyday American couple. Heidi Erickson grew up in Falcon Heights. She played basketball and tennis in high school. She was in the choir and loved to draw and paint. Mm -hmm. She was known for making beautiful cards that she gave to her friends. She was close with her two older brothers. Her parents describe her as a very trusting, but maybe a little naive. Heidi and Nick met in 2003. 
at the Calvary Baptist Church youth group right after Heidi graduated from high school. They got married when Heidi was 20 years old. Nick was 22. So they were married for five years before this shooting happened. Heidi recently started an administrative job at a financial services firm where her father worked. And in fact, the two had met for coffee at work on the Friday before Heidi died. We know that Nick Ferkus, well, he grew up in the area as well, and his family was very active in the church where Nick and Heidi met. In 2010, Nick was the director of operations at Crew 2 ChemDry, which was a local carpet cleaning company. By the accounts of every single one of Nick and Heidi's friends and acquaintances, the two had an ideal marriage. They enjoyed many activities like travel and biking together. These were wonderful people involved at their church, even working as youth group leaders. They had lots of friends and loved to throw dinner parties at their home. Well, even after a, a decade of this crime happening, I have not heard one friend, family member come forward and say, you know what, Heidi and Nick, they, they weren't getting along. They, they had some problems. Well, and that's what's so weird about this case because of the suspicions that would later come out. You would expect to hear some problems or expect to hear some bad stuff, mm-hmm. but there just doesn't seem to be any coming from people that knew these people closest. Their home was a three-bedroom, two-bath house with just a touch over 1,500 square feet. They purchased the home in 2007. When police arrived at the Fergus home, Heidi Fergus was dead, lying in the entryway to the kitchen. Nick was wounded. No one else was present. According to the first news reports, this is published the same day that this all went down. This is from the Pioneer Press, Twin Cities. 27-year-old Nick Fergus told police that he and his wife heard an intruder near the front door of their home. This was very early on Sunday morning. Again, we don't know the time of the first 911 call made by Heidi, but the second 911 call from Nick was at 6.30. According to Nick, both he and Heidi went downstairs to investigate. Nick armed with his shotgun. There was a struggle, and Heidi and Nick were both shot. Quote, during the struggle, Nick Ferkus's gun went off and Heidi was shot. The struggle continued, and Nicholas was shot in the leg with his gun. This from a St. Paul police spokesman. The intruder fled. Nothing was taken from the home. This is according to police. Police were able to recover the shotgun from the Fergus home. And while Heidi Fergus was dead when first responders arrived on the scene, Nick Fergus, who was shot in the leg, was treated and released from Regions Hospital. Real quick, back to the the gunshots, because the the police spokesman says he was speaking from Nick's account of the events. Mm -hmm. This this is weird, because on the 911 call, Nick said that he didn't know who shot him. Now, it sounds like the only gun that was fired was, in fact, Nick's. Nick told police that he did not know the intruder. And although they scouted the area... Police had no luck locating the person who broke into the home. Nick described the intruder as a male of unknown race, six feet to six feet, two inches tall, 200 to 220 pounds. He said the man was wearing a dark colored hooded sweatshirt. There was no sign of forced entry into the home. Police would say only that the home was, quote, secured when they arrived. There was a witness. This is... Clifford Mitchell, who lives down the street, said that he heard a car pull out real fast, screeching tires in the alley behind the Ferkus's home. He estimated it was about 6.15 or 6.20 a.m. Clifford said he did not see the car. He only heard the vehicle. The problem with this eyewitness is it's a heavily dense area. The other thing, too, Captain, is there's no public report out there on the lapse of time between the, the two gunshots. Right. We don't have anybody saying that they heard the gunshots. Now, we know they, obviously, they did take place. We just don't have anybody else to tell us when they took place. If we go off of the 911 calls, 
that would lead us to believe Heidi's call ended as the first shot went off or just before the first shot went off. Mm -hmm. And we know based off of what Nick tells 911 that he's already been shot by the time he's called back to 911. So sometime between the start of Heidi's call and the start of Nick's call, we have two gunshots. First Heidi shot and then Nick shot, this according to our only living witness our only living victim yeah so let's simplify this this couple is up in their bedroom the husband nick hears something says the front door now does the front door mean the front door to nick because you know how some people have a front door and then they have a door that they use all the time and then that's what they call the front door I cannot tell you what what door means what to this man. I I don't know him, but seeing the layout of his home, it would be hard to confuse the front entryway with with any other door to the house. Good, that clears it up. So he wakes up his wife. Hey, wake up! I think somebody's trying to get in the house. Mm-hmm. And then he claims that they both go downstairs. Mm-hmm. She obviously has her phone. I don't know if he has his phone at the time. They, he sees the intruder. He struggles with this intruder. He looks to me about maybe Nick. And he looks maybe to me, maybe 5'10 or so. So he's wrestling with a guy that's larger than he is, heavier than he is. During that wrestling, the gun goes off, which shoots his wife in the back. Mm-hmm. The gun then goes off and shoots him in the leg. Mm-hmm. Her wounds being fatal, his not fatal at all. I wouldn't say that they're not, they weren't severe. Yeah. So regarding his wound, this was a tricky thing to to figure because the reports just say, hey, he was treated that day and released from the hospital. So when you hear that, you're like, oh, you know, it's uh, merely a flesh wound, right? Right. But there have been conflicting reports. There are some people out there that said, hey, this dude showed me the gunshot later and it was gruesome. And then there's other people that do say the same thing that, that you would expect. Oh, it was just, it just grazed him. Right. So there's conflicting reports. I've not seen any pictures or anything or any detailed hospital reports to, to get a better idea on what this looks like. But if we are to believe Nick's story, it sounds like the two of them go down the steps, almost the stairs at almost the same time. She's armed with her cell phone. He's armed with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And when they get to the foot of the stairs, they're encountered by the intruder. And now we got two men wrestling over a big gun. Right. Fights on. Now, what's interesting, though, is why is she going down there? To me, it's like, hey, there's an intruder. I got my gun. You call 911, right? Right. Call 911. I got my gun. Let's do this. He claims that she, he was trying to get her to go to the garage. Yeah, or or at least outside in the backyard. Which makes no sense to me. Unless, again, what kind of noises are you hearing? If, you, if you're just hearing a jiggle of a door handle, maybe that sounds like... A, uh, one person if it sounded like more people maybe that would be a reason to run to the garage or to run outside it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me and then you have this struggle that takes place i would assume that this intruder wouldn't know what kind of gun he was wrestling away how many shots that it would be able to fire but all of a sudden it's like one shot kills somebody the other shot wounds the other person and then the person decided to then take off from my teachings when i was working in security and everything that i learned there the majority of the time believe it or not they do say the safest place for a person to to get to in a situation like this would be to get out of the house you want to especially knowing that it's it's the light of day is coming about right you want to be out in public or or at least in the view of other people, of witnesses. And you're less likely to have something bad happen to you in that situation. Now, you have variables that are going to change that. Given this situation where you are arming yourself, 
you're looking like you're ready to defend yourself, I probably would not instruct anybody to go outside. I mean, we have the intruder who's believed to be on the ground level. Let's keep everybody who's not armed upstairs and I will go down and try to stand our ground here. Yeah. Lock the bathroom. Or if there's a master suite, lock the, the bedroom, lock the bathroom door, hide in here, make the call. That's why rich people have panic rooms because mm. they, they can barricade themselves in, call for help and not have to encounter the intruder. Now here, what I, what I love about this and, and often people will buy a shotgun for the purpose of protecting their home. Everybody knows the universal shotgun sound. You can usually make that sound, and if a perp hears that and they're inside your home, they are not effing with you anymore. They are out. Picking them up, putting them down, and they're they're Cock gone. You know. Right. <coughs> Cock that gun. That's a universal sound for get out of my house, and 90% of the time, that's what goes down. My guess here is if this goes down the way Nick said it did, there's a chance that this intruder did not see the gun until they were already fighting over the gun, if that makes any sense, right? Because he says they're coming down the stairs, mm -hmm. and that's when, boom, bump into the intruder. Now we have a fight going on. One of the problems, though, with this story is we have no sign of force entry. Right. Well, and then listen to this. So I was looking for okay, any, I will. any public report for when these gunshots went off, right? Because then you go, well, if they're not going to tell me what time both 911 calls took place, I'm curious how how much earlier than the, the second call did these gunshots go off? But there is no public report for that. There is this report. A next-door neighbor, his name's Brandon O'Connor, he says that he heard a man yelling who sounded like he was in pain, so presumably this is Nick's 911 call. We, we can tell by the transcript that Nick is yelling. I mean, he he's calling for help. He's saying everything you would think, anticipate somebody to be saying during th this situation. Yeah, we, we need to go over that transcript a little bit clearer. The neighbor makes no reference to the loud gunshots, only that he heard a man yelling. Yeah, then you wonder, they need to do ballistic tests to see how, what range when she was hit with the Heidi being hit with the, the gunshots. So the day after the shooting, police released some more information that was interesting. Heidi had died after being shot once in the back with her husband's shotgun. A second shot from the same gun. This is in this report grazed Nick's leg. The gun was fired only twice. So both, both, it was fired only two times, one hitting the wife, one hitting Nick in the leg. Mm -hmm. According to Nick, Heidi had been shot as she was running out of the room where he was fighting with the intruder. But police were unable to detect any signs of a struggle inside the home, which was processed as a crime scene. And they processed this crime scene for two days following the murder. It's also not clear to us how long this struggle was. It could have been grab the gun, you know, push, pull, shot, shot. The guy takes off running, you know, a struggle for 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I do want to be clear. Heidi's death certificate does read cause of death, shotgun wound to the back, manner of death, homicide. Police collected DNA and fingerprint information from Nick to help them sort out any physical evidence collected at the scene. This, of course, is standard procedure to help them isolate any stranger or intruder DNA or prints. The police spokesman told the media that Nick was not considered a suspect. A couple of days after Heidi died, the press got wind of some information that police said was unrelated to the case, but those following the case found it very interesting. They found it very relatable. The Furcus home was under foreclosure. In fact, the sheriff's office was scheduled to take possession of the house on the morning of Monday, April 26th. This would be the day after Heidi was killed. The Ferguses were being evicted. Mm -hmm. It turned out that the house had been sold in June of 2009 in a foreclosure sale. It appeared that Heidi and Nick were living there despite this sale and the eviction notices that they were receiving for months. They were living there for months without paying anything. 
the Ferguses were going to be homeless. Now, what does this have to do with the intruder who broke in? Well, it was noted by police that the house was not all packed up as one would expect. Right. It looked totally normal. There's furniture. There's personal possessions. There's framed photos on display, pictures on the walls. Dressers are full with clothes. Right, because also if everything was packed up and you go, well, there was a struggle, but there's no sign of a struggle. Of course there's not, you know, or not obvious signs of a struggle like holes in a wall or anything because everything's packed up. But that's not the case with their house. It appears, Captain, that there weren't even boxes or crates to be packed up. Mm -hmm. And Heidi had not told anyone about an eviction or moving or anything. Some people procrastinate, though. (laughs) Well, after Nick was released from the hospital, this on the 26th, he and his parents sat down with Heidi's parents. And they told them about the eviction at that time. Nick assured them that Heidi knew about this, but John and Linda Erickson, her parents, they weren't buying it. Heidi's parents told the media that their daughter had not known that she was about to be evicted. Right. So this becomes a possible motive. Linda says that Heidi talked about looking into a short sale of the home. Uh, This would be apparently because she wanted to live in a different house have some kids, raise the kids in a different home. Mm -hmm. In other words, they were considering selling the house, even though they knew they would not make any money off of the sale. They've not been in the house very long. The thought here, Mm -hmm. Linda, Heidi's mom says, was that they were going to downsize to an apartment, this so they could save up money for a different house. Apparently, Nick was present for that conversation, And her parents would later say that Nick remained totally silent during that entire conversation. On Tuesday, April 27th, the sheriff's department was on site as soon as the crime scene tape was down. This to ensure the smooth takeover by the mortgage company. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone 
with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Cheers, mates. Cheers. Nick Ferkus told police that he struggled with a man who broke into his home. Well, eventually he managed to come up with some details about this man. In mid-May, police released a sketch of a suspect based off of what Nick told them. This was not your typical sketch compiled by a police sketch artist. This was created by a private artist hired by Nick's attorney. It is not known why Nick and his attorney chose to use a private artist rather than a trained police sketch artist to create the rendering. And the sheriff's department said that investigators preferred police prepared sketches. Now, even more strange, remember, Nick could not provide police with a detailed description of his attacker, including the man's race. But in this sketch that he paid for, we see a drawing of a black man with very detailed facial features. And with the sketch came a new detail that the attacker was estimated to be between 40 and 60 years old. It seems a month after the attack, Nick now magically realizes I did get a good look at this cat. And my memory of this event is better now than it was the first 48 hours after my wife was shot in the back. I do want to point out, Captain, that the police did receive a few calls after the release of the sketch. Now, about a month after Heidi's death, reports came out that police executed a search warrant to collect the couple's financial records. Luckily for us, the local papers published excerpts of this warrant. And police found correspondence that indicated that the couple was underwater financially 
It, in fact, it read severe financial problems, including foreclosure, unpaid bills, large credit card balances, and a lifestyle of wanton spending outside of their means. The media had a field day with the wanton spending terminology. This was the phrase of several headlines. The affidavit also confirmed that Heidi Furcus did not know about the couple's financial plight or that they were being evicted from their home. Apparently, the two recently took a trip to Hawaii, which Heidi told her mother Nick paid for with some bonuses he received from work. Captain, you went to Hawaii a few years back. Tell us, is that a cheap trip? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm the worst person to ask. It was actually not that expensive. Okay. Um, so not as expensive as I thought it would be, but it was it was still a few thousand dollars. But I always heard when I was younger, oh, if you want to take a trip to Hawaii, you're going to spend 10 grand or so. And it was not even close to that. Regardless, a few thousand dollars from people that are not paying their mortgage. Correct. And the house was full of brand new purchases, recreational items that they obviously could not afford. It appears that Nick handled the finances and they chronically overspent. Well, and we hear constantly from her family that there was just kind of a neat naivete uh, that she went through life with, uh, Heidi. And so maybe once they got married, it was like, oh, well, my husband takes care of the finances and I trust him, so we're fine. Per the affidavit, it looks like Nick is trying to cover up the mounting debts, even from his wife. And we have words like, Investigators interviewed several members of Heidi's family and her close associates. They found no evidence that Heidi was in any way aware of the dire financial straits the couple was in. They found no evidence that Heidi was in any way aware of the eviction or the foreclosure on their home. Yeah, and why is this important? Because I think one side, her family and friends are saying, look, she had no clue about this. And this is establishing a motive for Nick. Why would he want to kill his wife? They didn't seem to argue about anything. Well, did he get his head so up underwater and that she was going to have to uh, deal with these consequences that might have led? I've seen this happen with plenty of families, family businesses and things like that, where they're going under and the other spouse has no clue of what's happening. And once this all comes out, it's lies upon lies upon lies. And it's almost very similar to when somebody is having a long time affair with somebody. It's the mountain of lies that this person told you that gives you reason to go. I can't trust this person anymore. I I have to leave them. Yeah. And this is what is very difficult for us on the outside looking in because we don't know the confidential, if you will, conversations that were had between husband and wife. I don't know that we will ever be able to say with 100% certainty that Heidi didn't know any of this. I think what we can base our thoughts and our speculation off of is what the police and investigators are saying to the public, what Heidi's family is saying to the public. And the police are saying, look, we couldn't find one shred of evidence that Heidi was aware that any of this stuff was going on. Right. What we also have here, this is, is a bit strange. This is a little more evidence that Nick was covering this mess. Around the time of the foreclosure, the couple's insurance agent, his name is Kurt Brown, received a notice that the couple's home insurance was canceled because of the foreclosure. Now, Brown was an old college friend of Heidi's parents. Brown called Nick and he says, Hey, I got this notice about your home insurance being canceled. Nick tells him quote, a teller or somebody was stealing his paychecks and he was working to resolve that issue with the bank. Mm -hmm. And Brown would later say this, look, he believed the young man, but he also said in all of his years of working in the business, he had never had anything like that ever happen. Well, and also being somebody that worked at a bank, if there was some suspicion that a teller was taking this money from this individual and they caught the teller, the teller one would be fired immediately and they would refund the money 
immediately until they could figure it out. They don't just go, well, we got to hold this money back. And, and before we figure things out, the bank will front the money to you and, and make sure that they do a, a proper investigation. The day before she died, Heidi and a friend went to the Mall of America and did some shopping together. The friend said later that that Heidi talked about wanting to have a burger for dinner and getting a pedicure the next day. Her friend dropped her back off at her home around 6 p.m. This was on that Saturday. Okay, so she is killed. Heidi is killed 12 hours later. If she was planning on spending time at a nail salon on Sunday, then it doesn't sound like she was planning on packing up and moving out. Remind you, they were scheduled to be evicted from that home on Monday. She's killed in the early morning hours of Sunday. Mm -hmm. And again, no boxes, no crates. To me, it doesn't look like, well, I'll tell you what. We know that the couple made, let me count them. Mm. Oh, zero arrangements to live elsewhere, right? They've made no arrangements with mom or dad or in-laws or anyone to go anywhere after that Sunday. I think the question for a lot of people is, is this motive enough? Is this motive for murder? And I would argue yes, because we've seen this in other cases before. I, I, I think you could argue like the Christian Longo case with the guy getting his head so underwater that this becomes a rational way out for this this person. Now, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to show that Nick received a bunch of money or that there was some insurance claim because I, I, I just don't see that. And, and after all these years, nothing has come out stating, well, once she died, he collected half a million dollars or something. Right. But I think it's motive enough that this person wanted to get out of this situation. And if this individual is lying to his wife, we're talking about not one lie, not two lies, not three lies, possibly thousands of lies to lead them up to this point. What else is he lying about? What other secrets were in his life that he didn't want his wife to find out about? This reminds me a lot of the John List case where we have an individual who is living a lie and he's not just living the lie from society. He's living that lie in front of his kids, his wife and his mother. Yeah. Good point. And what did John list do? He even pretended to go off to work every day to a job. He no longer had, he goes sit on a damn park bench and read the newspaper because he had to pretend to be gone for a certain amount of time each day so that his family continued to believe that he had a job, that he was paying for the house that they lived in, that everything was fine. That's what I do every and week. Then you have to wonder too, like, I mean, this is psychologically, this case is, is beyond bizarre because then you have to wonder, is there some kind of weird level where Heidi never, ever knew that Nick was a bad guy? Heidi never, ever knew in the course of their relationship in the entirety of her life that Nick wasn't who he said he was to the point that he led her to believe that there was an intruder. She's shot in the back. She yeah. dies. She may, if she didn't know anything wrong was going on, if she didn't know that they were about to be evicted, she never knew that. And she never knew that it was Nick's fault. And a really good point that was brought up, I, I was watching brain scratch one of our favorites uh our buddy john and he brought up the point that it wouldn't be that hard if your wife is deep into sleep and we know this is let's say this is happening closer to 6 a.m it wouldn't be that hard if you were let's say you were up all night or you woke up earlier or whatever it was it wouldn't be that hard to shake her and immediately, with no sounds, with no nothing, you could convince somebody, hey, hey, I heard some noises. I think somebody's breaking into her house. And right away, their brain would go into that mode. Okay, what do we got to do? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think it would be that hard to convince somebody that something bad was happening, even though there wasn't possibly any evidence of that. Well, and here, th there's the other problem. 
we need some evidence of the intruder, right? Because with the intruder theory investigation, if the authorities are to believe that Nick really did struggle up close and personal with the intruder, you would think he would be able to describe the man that he fought with, or at least what the man was wearing. And we don't get any type of really good description until almost a month later. Right. And here's a statement to the media that says investigators have tried to locate witnesses, but have not interviewed anyone. They canvassed the area. They didn't interview anyone who said they saw an intruder go into the home or flee from the home. And as you pointed out, captain, the neighborhood is densely populated and it was light at the time of the incident. So police felt, well, yeah, they stated publicly. We really believe somebody would have seen something. Well, not just somebody would see something, but Nick would have seen something because it would have been lighter out. Mm -hmm. You go, look, if you, if your house, if you have all the lights off in your house and you go down at 3 a.m., and you run into an intruder, you might not see anything. But you're talking 6 o'clock, and everybody's telling you that it's pretty much daylight already out there. You run into this intruder, you're going to know, and you struggle with him, you're going to know his race, you're going to know roughly the size, roughly his weight, what he was wearing. I, I just don't buy that once you're on this 911 call, it's I don't know. It's almost like he planned this out so perfectly, but a couple things he just wasn't prepared for. Well, what did the man look like? I don't know. What was he wearing? I don't know. Maybe a sweater. It just seems like once he got to that point of the story, I mean, what a great thing. Hey, you go to the garage, you call 911. Once you realize that she's on the phone, Boom, that's when you shoot her. Mm -hmm. Because now we have audio evidence that something happened. And then now you got to shoot yourself. But then on on the 911 call, he's saying, somebody shot my wife, somebody shot me. You're the one that was holding the gun. You're the one that shot her. You're the one that shot yourself. Even if you're in a struggle with somebody, don't you think that would have came up in the 911 conversation? My wife shot. Who shot her? I was struggling with the intruder and the gun went off. That information is left out in the 911 call. So yeah. it, it seems to me like he planned certain things out pretty well, but other things he couldn't figure out and didn't even, wasn't even able to come up with a plan until a month later. Yeah. So this affidavit did have some other interesting information in it. It states that Nick told police he was upstairs with his wife when they quote heard noises downstairs and they thought someone was breaking into the residence. He says he grabbed his shotgun and they both walked down the stairs at this time. She calls nine one one when they were walking toward the back door to escape to the backyard. They encountered a person wearing a hooded sweatshirt. Nicholas stated he struggled with the person in the shotgun discharged striking his wife. Nicholas stated he continued to struggle over the shotgun and it discharged again, striking him in the leg. He said that the person ran away. He said he went to his wife and he used her phone to call 911 again. There was no explanation of how or why the first 911 call was made by Heidi and and why it was disconnected. And I think that's the key thing. Why was that first call disconnected? And I also want to make sure that we talk about some reasons why the intruder theory here does not track to me anyway. Well, again, okay. So let's just stay on that one point real quick. It sounds or what the dispatchers have stated, what police have stated that there's this loud noise and a a no by somebody, a scream of no. Most people, when they hear this, I guess, claim that it makes the most sense that the gun went off. In Nick's story, he doesn't reiterate that. That, oh, she's on the phone, and that's when she was shot. Well, the other thing, too, if she's shot at a total surprise to her, and she's the one on the call, and Nick says, 
I mean, his words were he went to his wife. So I'm assuming they're at some distance. You pointed out something good. I'd love to know the uh, if, if we could piece together the trajectory of that shot. Right. And piece that together because here's the problem. We don't know how the phone got disconnected. Again, that's that appears to me to be an action that somebody had to make. She didn't just get shot in the back, fall to the ground, and then the phone hangs itself up. Right. She hung up the phone. He hung up the phone. The intruder ran over and grabbed the phone and hung he it said, up. Hold I don't on, know. let me get this for you. Right. <laughs> Hang up. So here's some other things that don't add up to me, Captain. And and you chime in where you when and where you want to, but I have a I got a list for you. Okay? So one, no sign of forced entry. Police tried to determine how the intruder could have got into the home. They couldn't find any evidence of how the intruder made their way into the home. Right. Let me let me uh, chime in real quick. No fingerprints. Of course, the person could have been wearing gloves. They didn't find any. They did some touch DNA, uh, forensics evidence, nothing. There's no scratch marks. There's no broken locks. There's no broken glass. Right. And the, the other difficult thing for the intruder as well is the front entryway to the home where Nick said they heard the intruder has a vestibule. You know, it's one of those, there's a, there's an outside door, then a small entryway, then there's a second door into the home. This means the intruder would have had to get through two doors and yet left no trace. The time of day. This is confusing too. Why would the intruder wait for it to be light out before entering a home to rob? It's easier to see. It's well, this is a Sunday morning. And, you know, some people get up early. They like to drink coffee. Maybe they're getting the paper off their front porch or their driveway. And nobody sees a man sprinting from the home after two shotgun blast. Then we have a pair. We pair that with the report from a neighbor about screeching car tires from the alley. But this alley was behind the home. The intruder, according to, to Nick, came through the front door, not the back door closest to the alley. He would have to run around the house, out the gate, and then to his car. The only reason why this somewhat makes sense to me is that he could have entered from the front or possibly knew that these houses would be easier to enter to the front. You could go through the house, grab a couple things, run through the back, and now you're at your uh, escape vehicle. Mm -hmm. Nothing was stolen from the house. We also have the police report stating no signs of a struggle. Now, mind you, they processed the home for 48 hours, so they spent a good deal of time looking at the crime scene. The location of Heidi's body is questionable, too. Heidi was found dead in the kitchen entryway. This is not near the front door area where Nick alleged the struggle went down. To get to the kitchen from the foyer, you would have to pass through other rooms. Now, yes, it is possible that Heidi was shot in the foyer and then managed to run or crawl to the spot where she died, trying to get away from her shooter. But on the 911 call she made, she told the dispatcher, quote, someone is trying to break into my house and quote, not someone broke in and my husband is fighting with him in front of me. Right. Then we have Heidi never told the dispatcher that she actually saw anyone or that anyone was actually in the home. Which, look, that's that's the big red flag here. You just said it. She's on the phone at the same time that her husband is claiming he is having an altercation with the intruder. And that is never stated by her. It Again, somebody's trying to break into our home is way different than a guy's in our home. My, my husband's struggling with this intruder. Well, and then you have the real scary possibility that if this whole event was on purpose, then Nick planned on killing Heidi. In this scenario, he woke his wife up and convinced Heidi that someone really was breaking in, resulting in her calling 911, which she evidently believed there was an intruder because she's the one that called 911. This is almost providing an alibi in a way for him to yeah. verify his story because it's so 
smart to have her call 911 than to you call just after the fact, right? Because had he been the only one that called 911 and it was all after the fact, don't you think they'd be looking at this a whole different way and probably immediately from the get-go? But again, here's an individual that is not good at planning. And we know this because we have a, he has a history of this. Buys a house, didn't plan on paying for the house. <laughs> You know, well, maybe he is good at planning, of, and that was his plan all along. <laughs> possibly, but but again. Well, hold on just a second, because the thing that we have here, too, and this is very interesting, in May of 2011, this is mm. almost a year after this whole thing went down, according to St. Paul Police Department Senior Commander Bill Martinez, who headed up the homicide unit at that time, he said, quote, Nick has not been eliminated as a possible suspect. Now, we know that Nick lawyered up pretty quickly per the Pioneer Press Twin Cities article. It says Joe Friedberg, Fergus's attorney, said police have treated him as a suspect from day one and that that's why he got involved. He says that I believe them to be wrong, and I believed from the beginning that Nick was a victim and not a perpetrator. But Friedberg had an answer for everything. As for the dire financial situation the couple was facing and the impending eviction, he commented, the police either negligently or intentionally misrepresented his financial condition. They said he was far more in debt than he actually was. He said, my office, we did our own financial investigation and we found no possibility for any financial motive in this type of thing. Furthermore, he said it was totally false that Heidi did not know about the eviction, saying we have documentary evidence of the fact that she knew exactly what was going on. In fact, they were out together shortly before, meaning the shooting, mm -hmm. looking for a new residence. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> Do they have? But they weren't. Right, yeah. I, I want to see the realtor that showed him around she was talking about eating a burger for dinner and having a pedicure the next day i also think it's hilarious how how he says the situation wasn't as bad as the police made it out to be <laughs> still they pretty were, bad but not as bad they were going to be kicked out of their home with no place to go that's pretty bad and look both of their parents are are, are good people with homes of their own mm -hmm. if they needed if they needed somewhere to stay or possibly alone, right? Just a bed to sleep in for a couple of months. Arrangements could have been made and they weren't. And that to mm. me, when mom and dad don't know that you're getting kicked out of your house and you've made no plan to have a place to stay. Yeah. I, I just can't believe, I can't believe that it's anything other than what it actually looks like. Well, in Nick's defense though, because a lot of people say, look, Heidi was a really good person, and so she wouldn't have done this. She wouldn't have just lived rent-free. She wouldn't have just spent money that she didn't have. There's a lot of very good people. That don't pay their bills. That don't pay their bills. There's a lot of good people that run into... Um, it reminds me I have to call the electric company. Yes. <laughs> no, but there's a lot of people that are just ignorant when it comes to finances i learned a lot about finances as being a teller i would see people that were really good about saving little percentages back every month i also saw guys that made six figures easily live in the negative yeah so you know, i've seen people that make six figures and they can't get a car loan because they have collections out on them for tiny little bills that they were just unaware of. They're either unaware of them or they slip through the cracks. Right. And so the idea that they're like, she's a really good person. That's evidence of her not knowing about their bad financial situation. I don't think that's evidence of that. So in Nick's defense, is it possible that she knew? I don't think it's as easy as black and white. She either, she either knew everything or she didn't know right. everything. I, I think there's a gray area. Right. The, and there's evidence of that because when she says, look, we don't have enough equity 
if we sold our house, we'd lose money. We want to do a short sale. That means that she was aware of some things happening Mm. financially. And so I think there was, like I said, this kind of gray area, but I still think it's enough of a motive because it's lie after lie after lie after lie. I'm going to use her words to kind of confirm what I think was going on. And her words to, this is according to her mother, and the mother says that Nick was present for this conversation and remained quiet. He didn't say anything during the course of this conversation. I'm talking about the conversation where Heidi and her mother discuss the couple downsizing their life moving out of their house, selling their house, moving into an apartment so they can save up for a home. There's a few problems with that. They don't just love giving out new home loans to people that were evicted from their first home loan. Right. And then second of all, if you are going to save up for a home and you, again, you have these nice parents with homes of their own. If you really know how broke you are, you go and live with mom and dad or you go live somewhere where you can live as cheap as possible to save up to try to right the ship. No, she's saying we're thinking about getting an apartment. That costs money too. So even though this Friedberg has an answer for everything, I think, look, that sounds good. Way to spin it positive for your client there, Mr. Friedberg, but I'm going to call bullshit. Mm -hmm. As my man Pete Townsend would say, it's an eminence front. It's a put-on. Detective Martinez said in May of 2011, quote, We have a number of questions we would like to ask him, meaning Nick. He hasn't been interviewed for almost a year since it happened. He hasn't been fully cooperative in some of our requests. We have strict orders from his attorney that he is not to talk to us. And this is the problem I have. Because again, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can lawyer up. And guess what? If this happened and there's all these question marks... And they, and somebody said, well, sir, we think you, you set this up and you killed your wife. Goddamn right. I'm getting a lawyer. But if I actually care about figuring out who did this, there you go. Then I'm going to say, Hey, we need to be open to answer all the questions. And what his lawyer stated was, well, they just want to talk to him and to try to find inconsistencies in his story to trip him up. No shit, Sherlock. That's what they do. Well, but, and I'll but, tell you but hold on. But you have the power to to go to the police. If he give if he gave a just a, the smallest bits of shits about his wife, he would then go to police and say any question that you have, submit that to my lawyer and I'll answer it the best of my ability. And that would give them time to know he d- he doesn't remember this or he doesn't know this so he can't answer that but you would be assisting with the police but that's not what you've done right you have moved on with your life you have married somebody else you started a family you're probably lying to her every chance you can get and when your head sinks above underwater again you're probably going to try to find a way out too well see i I have three really big questions in this case, and really I have one very simple answer that covers all three of these bases. One, why under the advice of counsel did broke-ass Nick refuse to talk to investigators after his initial interview? Why is Nick not out pounding the pavement looking for the man responsible for his wife's death? Why is Nick not pounding on the table demanding that police find the man responsible for the death of his wife. That's because old nasty Nick knows right where to find that man. He sees him every day when he looks in the mirror. Nick continues to this day to refuse to respond to media requests for interviews or comments. Friedberg is no longer his attorney. Nick, because yeah, he couldn't pay him. Right. Nick got married again. This was in August of 2012, but a web sleuther posted a link to court filings in Minnesota that the new wife recently filed for divorce. Surprise, surprise. And, and, and she should go to police. If, if you married Nick Furkus, right? First of all, I'm sorry that became your last name because 
I'd hate to meet somebody and be like, oh, they seem like a great person. What's your last name? Fergus? Oh, I'm going to change my name to that. No way. It's a shit ass name. Change it. But if he was lying to you about things and lying to you about financial records or lying to you about anything, you should go to police because that would confirm their suspicions of his uh, ability to lie. And, and, and she should do that. Well, frankly, I think it's shameful that Nick Ferkus is not in prison. I believe there is ample evidence to obtain at least a manslaughter conviction here in this case. And police are asking anyone with information on this case to call them at 651-266-5650. want to thank you guys so much for joining us here in the garage. And if you'd like to help out the garage, go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave us some stars. We need stars. We we need (laughs) as many stars as possible. Any kind words that you can leave us for a nice review really does help the show. Well, what I prefer is when they leave five stars, but then they say like some shitty stuff. Something nasty. So leave five stars and then be like, but Nick kind of sucks. He really sucks. He, he, he five-star sucks. He five-star sucks. And the captain, <laughs> oh, I would give him negative stars, but, but we're going to give you five stars anyways. All right. Until next time, everybody out there, be good, be kind, and don't listen. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.